Welcome to the Imaginators Podcast. We are here today with my very good friend, Tom Vogel, who is joining us, and we are going to have a riveting conversation about storytelling and how it weaves itself into the deep fabric of just being a human being. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So say hi, Tom. Hello. And joining me, as always, is the um, love lovely there's got to be a better word than that there's a effervescent effervescent <laughs> it's just because i'm drinking a fizzy drink right now i thought of that word effervescent <laughs> very good matt downey hey <laughs> um and i am chris mcqueen and before we jump in uh a couple of notes one is that uh listener um, the fact that you are listening to this podcast at all is a miracle. This mm-hmm. has been uh, about uh, 45 minutes of troubleshooting um, to make this happen. But here we are coming from Cambridge, Ontario and Montreal, all in the same breath. And uh, um, if there are any audio things going on that are not as pleasant to listen to as usual, get over it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I think it works fine, 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 yeah, fine. fine. Okay, 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 okay. Nice. Um, and also, before we jump in, I uh, uh, I just wanted to do a shout out to the Imaginarium event that is going to be coming up in November, uh, November second to fourth, and we're hosting it in Cambridge. Uh, if you are someone who is uh, feeling called um, into just imaginative work, whatever that looks like, you use your imagination, you're creative, you self-identify that way. Um, we would love to have you out. You can register. You can go to creative.vineyard.ca, follow some links, and get yourself registered for that. Um, Tom is going to be there, and I think Matt is ditching, but it's not her fault. I'm um, really sorry. I have another commitment. It's actually my fault because I didn't check with Matt before booking the dates because I'm a moron, but that's fine. Ah. <laughs> no, not, not a moron. No, that's true. Just anyway. Um, by way of introduction, um, I just... Uh, Tom, I remember the time that I first really met Tom. Um, it was a gathering of a bunch of fellows. We were away for a weekend, and uh, um, somebody had said to me, and we, my wife and I had just moved back into the Cambridge Kitchener area, and somebody said, you need to meet Tom Vogel. Um, and we were at, Tom, I don't think you even know this. I'm, I'm, I'm sitting here wrapped with him. Please, so, go yeah, on. So, I, this is all new to me. So, so we, were, we were at this men's retreat of sorts, and I saw this um, group of probably about 15 or 20 men gathered around this animated character who was waving his arms and going <laughs> from the high pitch to the low pitch to grumbles to, to um, uh, voicing the sounds of a rumbling bus. Um, oh, and yes. yeah, yeah. Now. yeah. And, uh, and the sounds of laughter. And at the center of it all was, was Tom. Uh, who has gone on to become one of my very dear friends. Mm. And uh, the thing that I can say about Tom is that Tom takes truth very seriously, um, but never lets fact get in the way of a good story. Amen. <laughs> <laughs> um, but when we were thinking about, uh, about this particular um, episode of, of the podcast and what kind of st- uh, conversation about creativity would be complete without sort of just jumping into what it means to talk about being a storyteller and, 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 mm. and telling stories. Uh, it, it's a necessary part of the conversation. Tom came to mind um, as somebody who is uh, probably the most gifted storyteller I know. 
and, uh, and has a real sense of um, articulation about what it means, I think, to be a storyteller in your soul. So hmm. anyway, so welcome to the program, Tom. Hey, thank you. Look, I'm honored. Are you kidding me? This is, I, <laughs> when you asked me in the first place, I thought, oh, this is great. Are you kidding? I love any opportunity to tell a story or to talk about that whole thing, right? So thank you. No, I really appreciate this. And Matt, what a pleasure to meet you. I have to say, like I, I've told them behind the scenes, um, I've been I've been actually following these these two on their podcasts, the, the, the four that I've that have been out so far, and I'm a diehard fan. So meeting Matt today for the first time via Skype is like meeting a celebrity. <laughs> she, she pops up, with, oh, you're the person I've been listening to and absolutely adoring for the last four times. So nice to meet you, Matt, oh, officially face to face. Thank you, Tom. And I'll just I'll get you a signed bit of something later. Please, <laughs> great. Okay, now that we've now that we've kind of appropriately uh, stoked ego, let's jump into. <laughs> yes, let us do. Let us do. Um, so, Tom, I I thought that uh, uh, we might just uh, jump in um, and just kind of have you riff a little bit about um, what kind of is at the core of being a storyteller for you when you mm. when you first kind of identified that this was a thing and in particular that it was your thing what what kind of what was that story about what did that accompany what was that? oh isn't that interesting that's a really good question because um before i was cognitive of it my my mother knew of it i was four years old and i was standing on a street corner with a bunch of little kids you know neighborhood kids and um and I was doing exactly what you said earlier. I was raising my hands, lows and highs and growls and the sounds of buses and whatever else I was making. And uh, I scared the hell out of all of them. And they all ran off screaming and crying. <laughs> and about 20 minutes later, my mom gets all these calls from all these parents saying, your son scared my child. What are you thinking? And I remember my mom then, she tells me, I came home and she says, Thomas, because she's, she's German as can be. She's a lovely German mother with a very strong accent. And okay, Chris has actually met her. Um, there's Thomas. says, I think you're a storyteller. That's what I think you are. You're a storyteller. And uh, she wasn't angry with me. For some reason, she didn't like that. And, I, and I, that stuck with me. And, I, and it stuck over the years. She would remind me throughout the, throughout the years. So was there a moment where I went, oh, look at this. This is what I, what I do or what I love. I think it's always been kind of a part of my, um, my makeup. It's been part of my, my, um, my story, I guess, for, for myself, my, my family story. They would remind me. And I know in my family, I have an uncle that is the storyteller of the family. He's always the guy, when you go and have family you know, gatherings, um, we all sit around and listen to him. And he opens his mouth and we all are in awe of this guy. So, um, yeah, it's kind of in the family in a funny way. When I think about the just the time that we're in, um, and, you know, we are kind of in this information overload mm. Thing, right where we have data right hmm. and at the same time everything it seems like is being really um you know well storied in the sense that it's uh um we've learned how to sell stuff through stories you oh, know and so yeah. we're inundated with yeah. with this yeah. sort of thing um and i would be interested to get kind of both of you guys feeding back on um in in this time what the necessity is for storytelling and um and also um you know kind of a theme running through our our times together so far with the imaginators is that we always seem to drift back into this thing of of truth is beauty and beauty is truth and and um and i think that storytelling is really is you know really central to that and yet 
as we kind of alluded to earlier, storytelling also can play with fact a little bit. Um, a little bit? So, <laughs> well, if I could jump in first, maybe, because um, I was thinking about and when you said this, we've learned to sell things. And I think um, something I've been thinking about is that we have become, in the last uh, few hundred years, last few centuries, historians instead of storytellers. So we're always looking for what actually mm. happened. What are the facts here? And we're trying to be objective and take our, remove ourselves in some way from what we see happening so that we can, you know, we're the, we're the scientists just looking at what's happening. And so we're taking mm. ourselves out of the story in some way. So we're not empathizing. We're not really listening. We're not really identifying with the characters in history or around us. We're just looking for the facts. And I think on the other side, what you said is that we've become our salespeople. We're trying to get people to buy something that uh, will... I don't know, that we think is necessary for them to have, or will, it's self-interest, really. We're getting people to buy into something that will serve us, instead of really trying to be part of a community that listens to each other's stories, and then builds a story together, because we are listening to each other. So I think part of the problem is that we're not trained, well, we are as children, we listen to stories, but we're not trained to be story to enter into stories very much as adults. So we're not very good story listeners and we're not very good storytellers because we're trained to either sell or to go look for the facts. And neither of those produce empathy. Neither of those make us engage as philosophers, can I say, as people mm -hmm. who look for meaning. What does it mean to be human? And it, none of those produce empathy. And I think... Just reading, you know, the news and the Twitter feeds and all kinds of things lately, I don't see a whole lot of empathy. I think we're lacking that. And I, to me, that is so closely related to knowing how to listen and enter into a good story. Wow, that's very insightful. I have to say that that I've never heard it put that way, but that makes complete sense. The whole idea of being historians and being the, the fact gatherers and, and fact disseminators, right? We get it out there and we, you know, and, and, and people use fact as currency. And they're you know back and forth and from Twitter to whatever and 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 the Twitter wars and the and that whole business that goes on out, out there in the in the digital dark let's call it um, it really you know we really kind of we miss the fire in the digital dark we're out there in that digital dark but we miss the the fire to gather around and to really hear what's 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 important and um, the empathy you know that's exactly it I think storytelling at its core it has to do with heart it has to do with with really drawing us back to our, our human core, to our to that spark within us that actually makes us all one. And um, and that's where when I say the truth, you know, the facts, right? And we play with the facts a little bit. A little bit, are you kidding me? In fact, facts are just so much fun to to, to destroy. Uh, and 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 to and to trounce and then to drown when you're when you're telling a good story. Oh my God! You just you just discard them, and you get into metaphor and you get into talking about those other bigger pictures that transcend us from the everyday, from the Tim Hortons on the corner to the you know what I mean to that other world to the magical castles that are just you know above and beyond. But in those castles, in those hallways, we find each other. We find ourselves. We find things that are you know the metaphorical is very powerful. And no, there's no place for metaphorical in selling. You know, you know, have you ever heard a car salesman use a metaphorical you know, <laughs> <laughs> metaphor about this guy that's slashing prices? Um, you know, it's it's really it's you're right. I think uh, we we really um, bastardize 
the whole idea of, of, of what it is to come gather around and listen to me. It's, it's very different. Man, that's a great point, historians and, um, and fact gatherers. It's, it's such a funny time, right? Because we really, truly are surrounded by more story than, um, than maybe ever before because we have media that's constantly communicating it. And yet, um, and I never even, I've never thought about this, but we are somewhat disconnected from storytellers, mm. right? So we, we sort of have this world where um, it's like the storyteller becomes really invisible, to us and there's production that's behind the scenes and there's all sorts of things but um you know with what matt has talked about and what you're mentioning there's this the kind of rehumanizing element of storytelling and it's not that we think that you know having facts are irrelevant obviously there are Mm. certain contexts in which facts uh and the actual facts matter Mm -hmm. um but when when we are digging into a deeper truth, it's the same thing um, that I think of when I'm doing something like a graphic design thing, or I'm. I'm and, and Tom is also a photographer, um, so he'll appreciate this, I think. But there are times where I'm putting a filter on an image that I've taken um, because somehow the ones and zeros in my digital file of that photograph don't communicate the honest emotion of that moment. Mm, good point. And so by adding some kind of a filter, um, I'm actually being more truthful to the to the space that to the way that that scene was was hitting me as I held up my my phone, which is typically my camera, mm. and took a shot. And I mean, and that reality is happening around us all the time. But you know, this idea of actually being connected to one another as listeners and actual storytellers. It's, it's, you know, maybe that's part of the missing ingredient that allows there to still be honesty within the embellishment that allows us to tell, to get to the essence of what, of, of, of the truth, mm. the essence of the story. And I, I should, I should clarify about the thing about facts. Sure. I mean, I, from my experience, I like to say, Yahoo, let's just burn the thing down, but not really. I, I I'll say this, that, uh, to qualify facts are important but i think people can take a slide rule to storytelling you know or think of it, or, or to the art of it they say let's take a slide rule let's let's make this accurate to the point of ad nauseum whereas um i think that you you find your facts you get your facts you see what what is the base behind it and then you leap hmm. and that's that's what i find i love to do then i i find that fact because that's important you got to have something to fall back on at some point but um i leap from there Hmm. But as long as you've got a base to leap from, yeah, yeah, it's true. You can't just just make up out of the blue. But I, I find facts, yes, they, they have a have a place. But there's this whole, um, yeah, this this whole world out there that we're just we're just literally swimming in the. Um, how would I put this? I, it's almost like that world, that internet world that we have out there, that that world of 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 the social media. Um, it's almost like people are approaching it like, and no disrespect to engineers, love them, lovely haircuts, love these sweet little people. But um, it's it's almost like, you know, they, they, they take the engineer approach, which is can be very creative in its own right. And then there's artists who take a different kind of approach, you know, the, the left, right hemisphere brain kind of business, right? Where um, certain people will go and, and, and construct. And that's no less creative than a person going and constructing something fanciful or something, you know, metaphorical, shall we say. Mm. They're, they're both very creative. But I think there's a real leaning towards that side where let's get this all nutted down. Let's take a slide ruler to this story or to this idea. Let's really quantify this. Let's get the demographics right. Let's make sure we get all the, you know, the the test groups and, the, and, and all those things all sorted. And it just 
beats it to death. It, and, we, and we're just looking at a lot of, of yeah, you're right, a lot of facts trolled out on us, like on ticker tape, but it's no mm. longer ticker tape. It's, you know, this whole other world. Mm. Yeah, and if I, if I could just make a straight line from there to theology, um, mm. why not? Please do. <laughs> I, I see this in Jesus, and I see this in how we even read the stories of Jesus and the Gospels. I see Jesus telling a lot of stories and people being frustrated with that. Like, why don't you just tell us what to do, or who you are, or what you expect us or from us, or just tell us exactly what's, tell us the truth. And Jesus goes, well, I am the truth. And they're going, oh, that's so unhelpful, Jesus. Like, really. Uh, and then... Even And then again, this is a more recent phenomenon, just the way of reading the gospel saying, well, there's discrepancies, they don't all agree. And so that being a very modern kind of observation, whereas you come from, if you're in a storytelling culture, I don't think people would be really observing that, wait a minute, these stories don't agree. Some of these facts, in quotes, um, are... Are, are different. The order of things are different, and if you're in a storytelling culture, uh, that that doesn't really come to the fore. You go, oh, this is a different side of the story I'd never heard before. This is interesting. What is it now making me be attentive to, mm. right? And so I think not growing up in a storytelling culture. And uh, this is a few years ago. I went to a storytelling evening, and it was an African American older woman just telling the stories that she grew up with and is passing on to her community and her children. And I think I didn't grow up like this, and I didn't come away with any facts or more knowledge, so to speak. Um, but I came with I understand more about how the values that you have in your community and your way of life. I understand more about mm. how you raise your children or the journeys that you go on. And I have a whole lot more questions, right? Oh, that's good. And I yeah. think um, part of the, the thing that stories do, and Dean and I go see a lot of movies. I love reading fiction. I love reading memoirs, which is just a form of how a person remembers their own story. And, mm. and what I see is the more I immerse myself and get comfortable in those, um, yes, empathy, imagination, listening, those are all kind of engaging, but I'm also better with tension. I am, hmm. uh, I'm better with, I don't always have to have the binary, is this right or wrong? Is this A or B, right? I'm, I'm comfortable mm -hmm. with things that kind of get stuck in the middle because you're always in the middle of a story. I'm more patient with process, because stories, like you say, take time to develop and mm. unfold. And uh, so I think these actually develop character qualities in us when we are good uh, or immersed in, in, story, in story in some way in our lives, which we aren't when we're raised in more the scientific kind of age. Mm. Yeah, well put. It's a, I had an experience way back. I used to tell stories to my, my children's class, so my two daughters. We, uh, we brought them up in Australia. Hey, by the way, I can bung on an accent, mate, just like that. <laughs> so if you want me to tell a story in Australia, mate, I can do it just like that. Eh? Eh? Anyways, I won't because my wife will hit me because she's the Australian gal and says, you don't have an Australian accent. It's terrible. But um, my daughters brought them up in Australia, and in their, in their school, I would go in and tell stories uh, every week. I would tell these stories, these worlds that I'd created for, for them in particular. And they, they all loved it, had a grand old time. We come back to Canada and um, 
there we were at my daughter's, yeah, my youngest daughter's class. She was in grade four, I think, at the time. And I go into the classroom, and all these kids are sitting around, and, and you know, the teacher says, well, you know, Mr. Vogel is going to tell a story to you kids, so all behave now, let's all sit down, and let's all be quiet. Mr. Vogel's going to tell a story. So I got up, and I said, well, first question I have to ask kids is, um, have you ever had a story told to you, like a storyteller, come in and tell a story? And they all kind of sh- shook their heads, no. So, so what do you know about storytelling at all? Well, they, they watch TV, they have uh, television shows, cartoons they love, and, and then they had people, you know, re- at library read a book to them and that kind of thing. But not anyone come and actually tell them a story. I says, no, you're serious. He says, no, 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 not at all. He says, well, then I said, well, here we go. Um, if you suffer from a heart condition or if you're in the maternal way or if you suffer from seborrhea or psoriasis, I ask that you leave now because the ushers will be closing the doors. And they looked at each other and half the class got up and ran out the door. They ran out. And what I did as a good storyteller is I shut the door. <laughs> and they were sta- they sta- stayed out in the hall while the kids who remained, I just told them a rip-roaring tale. And they were howling and squealing and peeing their pants and all the good stuff that should happen when you tell a good story. And the kids out in the hall were bouncing up and down, looking through the window, trying to get in. They couldn't get in. Because, what, what, what? And so they're missing this amazing story. And then they come in afterwards and they say, well, tell us that story. Tell us. Well, maybe later. But I realized then, I thought, my God, these kids, it's so, like, it was so, like, they'd never had someone just do something out of the blue. It, was, it wasn't just the typical, um, you know, uh, structural kind of thing. It was, it was something very different. And they took it very literal. Hmm. Yeah. So I, I find that um, people can a- approach storytelling if they've never heard it, if it's never been done. Um, people sometimes have no frame of reference. And it can be a bit jarring and a bit dis- disconcerting, and they may have a hard time processing it first, because if it's if like you say, this lady she got she got up, and she spoke about her culture. It wasn't about the facts of it as my and the, and the things. It was about the emotion and the feeling and the uh, and the life of it, and you felt the life. You felt some kind of lifeblood from that story. Um, that's storytelling. That's that's when it's really happening. But some people have a hard time with that if they're not used to even hearing, seeing, or tasting that in any way in their lives because they have a diet of everything else but that. Yeah, I uh there's always an invitation in a story, right? To 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 listen and be part of that process. The reci- the reciprocity hmm. kind of piece. Um there's a beautiful skill set that I think comes from sitting down in front of a human being, particularly if they are telling a story that is from outside of your vantage point, right? And the humility that comes from having to sit and to listen, um, to really listen, and then to have genuine questions come. Um, and I think that that is something that I see in my, my own life, that I, I, long, I long for those kind of connections where I've listened well, and now I have, now there are genuine questions that are part of the exchange. Um, and I just know from having, um, you know, been in the room now quite a number of times uh, when, when Tom in particular is, is telling a story. And it's always interesting to me, and I probably have been, again, I probably have been guilty of it in the past, but because we've had some conversations in, 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 over the years, I sit back and it's amazing how my well, I'll make a. I'll, I'm going to make an assumption here. You tell me if I'm wrong or if I'm right. But my assumption is that the number one question that you get at the end of a story is, 
Was that true? Oh, that's the question. <laughs> uh, and I have an answer for that, too. I have an answer. I have an answer for it. So they, every time, so many times, and kids especially, so, is that true? And they have the big wide eyes, and they come up to you, and that, all that trust. They look right up into your face. And I look down at their little glowing, little cheeky faces, and I go, oh, that's a great question. I'm surprised you'd ask. And I walk away. <laughs> and that's where you start to work that muscle. There's a muscle in our imagination that tends not to get stretched or not get to work that often. And it's that place, that tension. I think you said a nice point earlier where you said, Matt, about tension, being able to hold tension. That's what I'm doing. When I say that to those kids when they are adults, even adults, yeah, they go, is that true? And totally trusting an open hand and arms, you know. I go, yeah, I'll, I'll give you an answer. I'll say that. And I'll just basically tell them that, um, you know, I'm surprised they even asked that question. And with a big smile, very generous and very, very kind. And walk away. And you can see them, the, the smoke between their ears. <laughs> and they kind of go, what, that it, that it was real or that it wasn't? What? And there's this back and forth that takes place. And that's the moment where the muscle starts to stretch and starts to grow. That's where the imagination engages. And they go, okay, what? They have to live with the tension of, what if that was true? What if it was true? What if it was? Uh, uh, you know, that, that place. Mm. So um, I never give the answer because it, that's, it's more important for people to have that um, the sense of wonder. Hmm. than to have the good, solid, factual answer. Uh, and wonder leads me to a question I wanted to ask Matt. Um, because I've now had the opportunity to ha- to hear Matt sort of deliver some, like one of the talks at uh, uh, Society of Vineyard Scholars back in June um, and just a few other environments. And um, a couple of things that you need to know about Matt, at least in my from, from my perspective, is that... Uh, She's extremely smart um, as, a, as a theologian uh, or somebody who, who moves in that field. Um, but Matt, when you present, it seems to me that you are way more interested in having somebody walk away with an imagination that is firing and asking questions than you are with delivering um, uh, pithy truth or answers or whatever. And I just wonder what your process is and you're maybe that's not even the right question, but um, you know, there's what I what I know is that people take away more than just some new ideas when you communicate some of the some of the things you're thinking about. And I'd be interested in hearing where that where that comes from because it's unique. It was uh, it, it is very unique in the field of you know conveying theology or information or whatever. And um, yeah. That's interesting. I don't know if I have uh, intentionally thought about my process of how when I make a presentation at a conference or even write some articles or or what have you for for theological consumption. Um, But I know I always rely on a question that I'm pondering or something that I've come across that... uh, excites wonder in me. Uh, I feel like I've been given a gift, in, in whether it's, it's an author that I've read or an idea I've, I've come across or just something maybe I've read in the scriptures that I never saw that before, that connection. And I feel like I've just been given a gift and how can I give it or pass it on to others? And then I try to wrap it up, I think, a little bit with some, some uh, 
some bows and some nice paper and some tape. So that makes people want to pull on it a bit and do the work mm. of unwrapping it for themselves a little bit. Um, mm. So, yeah, I don't think I ever want... Uh, and, you know, people talk to you after your presentation and, and uh, say things to you. And I think um, almost the lowest form of compliment is to say, oh, I now understand X, Y, and Z. Z for the Canadians, there you go. But I now understand... <laughs> And now I understand this. That is now clear to me. Thank you. I, you know, that's nice. But I, the thing, the comments I most appreciate when I've done a, a talk or something is to go, I never thought of this that way. Oh, I have so many more questions now. Mm. Or I want to look into that. Or I want to read that person. Or I, I always thought they were boring. Oh, now, you know, I'm going to have to check that out. So it's this of, I presented... Um, people with a gift in some way that I've discovered I've discovered a small part of and I want to pass that uh, wonder on and say you know offer it to people if you want to unwrap this further here's a gift you know pull on the tape uh, unwrap that and see what you, what you get inside it'll be something slightly different than what I got out of it I'm sure so uh, my process is always what excites me I assume that in some way, if presented well and honestly, will hopefully excite others as well. If yeah, if it's presented in a way that um, has integrity, meaning I'm not talking about things that I haven't lived with and sat with and walked with. So to me, that's mm. that's vital to uh, as part of a writer to not write about things that I don't really know. And by know, I don't mean thought about in my head or read some facts about. Know means it's part of my experience. It's in my heart in some way, as you said, Tom. It's mm. a heart experience. And I really try to write or speak or present out of that. That it, this in some way has changed me. And I offer it to you. Do you want it to change you as well? Hmm. Does that kind of answer your question, Chris? Yeah, that's great. The capacity to actually expand another person's idea of, of the world a little bit seems a lot more um, present in that kind of ethos, that sort of way of, of trying to communicate. Um, one of the things that you said that I found really uh, interesting was that you try to um, always be speaking from some, from some, from a genuine place, right? So part of your own story sort of thing. Um, and there's a little bit of tension in that for me. Um, not really tension, but when we are dealing with areas of imagination, and so there's an element of make-believe and, and constructing something that's new and making stuff up and genuinely creating stories or whatever, um, there's kind of this sweet spot and maybe it's the metaphor thing, but, um, where we're still speaking from our own experience. When I, when I think of my favorite authors, um, you know, Tolkien never walked literally middle earth. Middle earth was something that was a construct in his mind. What? As as that is close not as real? New yeah. Oh, man, I'm shattered. Oh, <laughs> as dear. close as New Zealand may be. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, 
And yet, the, I, I would hold that the reason that there's such a deep resonance is because there's so much of his own story that's woven into, into that. And um, what does it look like? What, what do you guys think that that looks like, kind of navigating that, that thing between being imaginative and, make, and, and stepping into make-believe a little bit? but still holding really deeply to um, that truthful resonance, right? That is, that is truer in a, in a lot of deeper ways um, where we're not actually being false, right? We're being imaginative, we're making stuff up, but we're not being false. Is it, do you guys have thoughts on how to, what that tightrope looks like? Mm. I, I, for myself, I just find that um uh, and I think again, you, you said it, Matt, too, as well. Just um, when you when you talk about something that you know, something that's that's part of who you are, it's not just a, theo- a theoretical thing. Like, yes, we know the Word of God and the Melchizedek priesthood, and blah 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 blah. Um, it's something that that resonates with you because I think you said it earlier too, as well. You said I'm, I'm a person who's very present, and I think um, storytelling at its best is that you're present in that moment. You actually have to be very present. Um, you have to be present with your own feelings about things. And I think when you're when you're present with your feelings and you're telling a story, a story, because again, a story is really any good story, is is our story. So Tolkien's story, his imaginary story about Middle Earth, um, it's our story. We loved it so much because it's our story. He actually reached out in that way that that only myth and metaphor and great imagination can, and say, you believe this story because you're so it's so much a part of who you are at certain levels, at certain almost DNA levels. There's that, the, the need to be heroes, the need, you know, the, 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 when we fail, when we, when we, when we succeed, when we, uh, when we band together as, you know, as, as community. These are things that we all want, all desire at the, at the core, kind of molecular level as a human beings. So a good storyteller will say, I'm not telling you a story that's just being made up. I'm telling you a story that is us. I'm just articulating in a way, and, we, and why we love the Tolkien stories and C.S. Lewis's are all the great stories along the way, and Game of Thrones is my latest one at the moment, <laughs> love it, da, 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 da. but all these, you know, stories, there's certain characters that we, we get angry about and we love passionately, and all, because they're us, they're parts of us, they're parts of who we are in the multifaceted things that make us as human beings, and, um, and a reflection of God, let's take it back theologically. The multifaceted aspect of God, it's not just God and a nighty sitting up in a, up in a cloud, but this multifaceted character yeah. who is full of all sorts of quirk and, and fascination and imagination and color. And so, um, but he's put that in us, you know, the, the God has put that in us. And um, so we, we, yeah, any, any good story, any good make-believe um, is believable because we are in the heart of it. We should, be, we should feel we're right in the heart of it, mm-hmm. not rather than just being passive observers of it. I do agree with Tom there. That's that in some way we identify with um, a story that is not fact, but it is true mm-hmm. in a way that it tells part of our story again. There's a resonance that happens when we hear it. So uh, even if I'm reading a, a, a fiction or seeing a movie or whatever it may be, I will. In, there's characters I relate to, 
And I so I set myself in opposition to them, almost like, well, I hope that ends with, you know, mm. they're caught or they're, they don't do well or they get what's coming to them. <laughs> and that there's characters there that I sympathize with. And I thought, and usually it's, they're not perfect. And they make mistakes. But that's the part I identify with as well. There's a brokenness in their lives. There's they've been some pain there. And they're still trying to move forward in their journey. It's kind of like the classic you know, Joseph Campbell, uh, yes, the hero exactly. journey, right? Yes. So we identify with the reluctant, broken hero being uh, asked or invited to go on this grand quest to help others mm. and be transformed in the process. And we know the journey will be full of pain and suffering, and it will just seem like they're almost got it completed, and bam, another setback, you know? We're, we're, we're kind of geared. We expect that story. Mm. But then right at the end, somehow, they return with a gift, the elixir for the village, or, you know, mm. they return her home in some way, having accomplished their task. And it's not just for themselves, it's for others. And it enriches the whole community. So there's a... There's a the journey I, is what I keep thinking of, uh, is the journey resonates with us in some way. So it's not just a static character or uh, not like a superhero. I find mm. like the Marvel and, and all of those, like the superhero stories, really, really hard to identify with. Dean loves them. There's something in them that really captures him. But it really doesn't resonate with me. And I think because the journey, the person isn't, um, isn't me in some ways. And some people, I mean, they do resonate with that. But it's just I don't. Yeah, yeah, the yeah. person's not me. And the journey is not one that I see myself being on. Whereas you have the tale of a hobbit. And I think, yes, I'm small and insignificant and overlooked <laughs> all the time. Yeah, and still being invited on a hero journey, the unlikely heroes. Uh, so, yeah, it, it's not that I go, well, this is factually true of my life. But I'm just saying... It's not factual, but it's true. Hmm. Aspirational. There's something that's aspirational. We want, we want to be better. We want to be heroic. We want to be brave. We want to be courageous. Um, I, I, I have to agree with you about the Marvel and DC comic kind of world that's happening at the moment. I, I find I, I, it just does not turn my crank in any way. I, maybe it's because I've seen what I look like in spandex and I'm not that, I'm not that happy with, with the image. So I just can't go there. You know what I mean? But, TMI, um, TMI, too much information. Yeah, you know, I mean, it's, uh, I just can't go there. But, um, but I, I think also there's an element of, I, I think a lot of it is posturing a lot of it uh, in that Marvel universe. There's a lot of it that's done in the comic style where it's, 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 it's tableaus. Them and they're flying through the air in that comic book tableau, you know what I mean? And, and we want that. And that feeds a certain kind of diet. Uh, and it's and it's good, and people can draw from that. Of course, they can. There is still enough going on in there for people to draw the hero story, right? Spider Man, yeah, with all that much the great power comes Listen, what? Spider Man, great power, great, great responsibility. Yeah, and I, and I'm gym. and I just need to I just need to represent mm -hmm. Dean a little bit in the midst of yeah. this particular part of the conversation, <laughs> um, because that is actually an interesting phenomenon is to look at what mythologies resonate with whom mm -hmm. and what does that kind of spell out about the underlying desires right so um like a lot of that stuff i'm, I'm with you i mean i i always uh i mean i was born in the 70s right so uh right during the whole heyday of the comic book era and um 
and that desire for a perfect hero. Mm. I mean, uh, my imagination was formed probably just in the slow ebb of the Superman myth where people started to get a little bit tired of the perfect hero. Mm. Um, but there is something, um, like when I think of, uh, the daredevil series on Netflix or, Hmm. uh, you know, Jessica Jones or whatever, and there's this sort of, these flawed heroes. Yeah. Um, and yet they're still, they are still heroes. Um, and, you know, I think that they're probably, I, I mean, I, I probably would land some in some kind of cynical place as to even in my own life why I would resonate with the superhero mythologies. But the reality is that they have a lot of currency. Mm. Um, and, uh, you know, the I think probably one of the more compelling cultural mythologies that um, that popped up and it didn't last as long as I as long as I thought it would. But I think it's because they completely messed it up with two terrible sequels but the matrix phenomenon Mm. um yeah it was uh was this i don't that 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 struck a chord with a certain group of people um longing for longing for there to be something behind the veil a little bit Mm. right that there's actually this deeper story and in fact the deeper story is the darker story it's the more difficult story. Hmm. It's the dirtier. Like there's, you know, um, this scene where Neo kind of comes to and wakes up in the real world, quote unquote. Um, and it's fairly horrific what he's in, what he encounters. And yet there's something about this idea that um, behind the veil of of comfort um, is is something worth fighting for, or dying for, or whatever, hmm. right? Um, and so I think that that can be an interesting piece in this is to look at where a lot of the cultural currency is and, and, you know, whether or not it points us to something noble or not, it does reveal kind of a zeitgeist, right? It does reveal a bit of a spirit of the age. Yeah, I agree. And, you know, one of the things that when, when I look at, um, uh, the life of, of the church, um, you know, it's a. It's a little bit of a strange season because, you know, there's there's a little bit of a distrust on some level with a really good story. Hmm. And I wonder, mm-hmm. you know, where exactly that can come from. You know, we want sort of a systematic, methodical, structured thing. This is how it works. This is the you know, a really well-defined theory of atonement and, you know, whatever. And those are not unimportant questions, I don't think. Um, but that, that seems to be what our most of our diet is in terms of a lot of the dialogue that... Well, here's the interesting thing. So a lot of the dialogue that happens officially during church gatherings, and I'm not just speaking about our own local context. I've seen this in lots of contexts. There's like the official story, Right. And, you know, we, we kind of spell things out pretty linearly. But then what happens in the swirl of relationship are these really interesting questions. And, um, and I just wonder kind of where, what that dynamic is like um, sometimes, you know, because the really interesting conversations, the, the conversations like this, 
um, you know, there's something that's a little that can it can kind of walk up to the edge a little bit. Um, but man, there's so much amazing story in the person of Christ. Like mm. he is the embodiment of such story. And I sometimes get a little bit frustrated with almost this reductionist, like we got to reduce this down to something that is like, this means so, thus and so. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Matt, what are your, any thoughts? Um, yeah, that's good. The official story. And you made, you said a few phrases there, the official story, um, a good story. And I'm just wondering, I didn't know quite what you meant by that. So I don't know if we want, you want to unpack a good story, meaning a tidy story. I think that's what you meant there. Uh, instead of a good story, one that leaves you with a, a wide open heart and mind and wondering more than ever what's going on. Uh, but I think you meant a tidy story and the, the official story being this is what we all agree to, whether that's what it actually is or not. And I think part of wanting a tidy story is we're afraid of doubt. We're afraid of uncomfortable questions. We're afraid of going to the edge, as you say, and wondering, and what's what's happens if we step outside of this? Like, what is out there? What if we leave the Shire? What happens, right? There'd be monsters out there or something. Um, so I think sometimes we use stories to contain, uh, uh, and then you get um, propaganda, really. Mm-hmm. And this is how we're trying to contain. This is the official story we're telling, so that everyone is contained within this story. And I think, as Tom attests, is that the wildness of the story is really its beauty and its power. Mm-hmm. And if I could just add one thing onto this superhero thing, I think part of the discomfort I have with, uh, or I should say, almost lack of interest in being. Uh, unable, unwilling to engage there is a lot of it being the paradigm of power that we're really talking Mm, about. And me seeing, working in, you know, theology most of the time, I see Jesus undermining really the power, the addiction to power that the society Mm. has, that the people want. They're always wanting, the oppressed want to be in a position of power. The powerful want more power. And so in superheroes, and it's probably my, my just superficial, that's a trigger for me, that when I see um, narratives concerning power, I automatically disengage a bit because mm. I think I don't, I don't want to put everything in the category of power, and I really want to see a story about something else than power, as if power fixes things in some way, mm. a superpower. Um, but anyway, that's just, that's just my thinking a bit in there. Propaganda, yeah, that's a really way of putting it. Because that's that's you know the the classic stories you hear in church, you know, from the felt boards to um, you know in Sunday school all the way up. Uh, it's not that it's all propaganda. Don't get me wrong. I'm just saying that that need the need for the tidy story that that like let's 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 all go for the punchline. We know the punchline, and he died on the cross and rose three days later. Hey, the end. He claps and have and people are crying and the Kleenex come out. We all know the story, uh, and that's good. Great story, fantastic story, one of the best stories out there. But um, Really, there's so much more between the cross and the tomb and the you know and the resurrection. There's so much going on in in, in life. In in, I think that um, we tend to t- try to keep things in church, um, and I say in a global sense because not just our church, but churches all over the world and, and religion. Period. I'm just talking Christian. I'm talking all different religions. We all have our places where we want somehow to have 
This is our contained little idea. This is how it works. This is our, our, our road. We go down through the list. And if you can t tick off all the boxes and we all nod at the right places and clap at the right places and tear up at the right places, we're done. That's great. But I think that, um, yeah, good stories just transcend that. A good, truthful story transcends. And you get this, this bigger picture of, of God um, that's, that's so much wider, broader, and deeper, and wilder that, um, yeah, that, that really does, that does resonate for us as human beings. And I think your idea of power, I, I love that, that, um, that's, that, that seems to be the thing that's out there at the moment. It's, it's a real, mm. you know, and you can see it in our culture from politics to, you know, and the political stuff that's happening all right now, even over in, in America, there's a thing of let's be powerful. Let's be brash. Let's be, let's put our jaw forward and let's make this, let's, let's be strong. You know what I mean, we're going to be great again. You know what I mean? Um, and I, I'm not just when I get political, but I'm saying that it's a, it's, it's a, it's a, a it's a, oh, it's a know. narrative. It's a narrative, which almost, almost reflects a malady, a, 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 an illness in our society at the moment. There's a, there's a, a certain unbalance and, um, yeah, that, that that striving for power—it's it's it's a dangerous thing. It's it's a real scary thing. The anti-hero, the fractured hero, um, is I think always I think throughout time has always been um, that's something that appeals to everyone because we are all anti-heroes. We are all broken and fractured. And um, the power of the story of of the other as well, and like when I think about the stories that Jesus told. And in particularly, as we consider, you know, what you, what you guys are talking about with the power thing, and that I mean, there's no question that the, the power is at the center of the vast majority of our mythologies today, and ha for a long time, mm -hmm. to be honest. Um, but uh, um, when I look at what the stories that Jesus told were, um nearly all of them at least, and I would say there's probably an argument to say that every story that he told somehow empowered someone who was disempowered and told the story of someone whose story was not getting told, mm. right? And, he, and, and even in, in the culture through which he revealed himself, it was not a powerful culture. It was a deeply, richly storied uh, culture, but it was not a culture that was in power, right? It was mm -hmm. a disempowered people. You know, that's a fascinating thing um, because when we have to be the best and the strongest and we want to represent that in our storytelling, if that bleeds into our theology and our ways of, of articulating how we understand God, that would be unhealthy. Mm. And I think in those places that it probably is unhealthy. So I'm just, um, I think that for me, this conversation is a, it, it helps to recenter what we're doing as imaginators, as creatives, whatever. Um, not to create a buzzword out of the podcast name, but the work of being storytellers is really, really important. So as a songwriter, um, as a songwriter, I'm trying to tell stories. As a worship songwriter, I'm telling well-told stories uh, and, and trying to find unique um, ways to sort of uh, inv invite us into, into those truths or those stories or whatever. Mm -hmm. um, 
but you know, Tom, you've talked about being, you know, um, you're a photographer, but like, that's how you make your money mm. right now is by taking photographs, you know, and I'm putting words in your mouth, but, um, but you, you would say that you're, you're actually telling stories. You're just using mm. a medium. Oh of, yeah. Yeah. Right. It's funny when I, uh, I, I teach at a college nearby and teach photography to these students and they have, have 37 of them this year. And we're sitting in class on the very first day, every time, the very first day I, I start class, I, I shut the door and I look at them all and I say, okay, look, you know, very conspiratorially. I say, um, <clears throat> but I have a confession to make. And they all listen now. They all go quiet. And they all listen. And says, nice. look, I'm not a photographer. And they laugh. I go, no, no, I'm serious. I'm not a photographer. And they laugh some more. <laughs> no, 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 no. I'm not joking. I'm not a photographer. <laughs> what? They're paying for this class to be, you know, for a photographer to teach them. I go, no, 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 I'm a storyteller. It just so happens that that, that you know, photography, yeah, that's, that's that's a career thing, but storytelling is my vocation. It's it's something I've been groomed to be since I was a child. I'm, I, I've, it's been a grooming that's above and beyond me. It's beyond my cleverness. I'm something bigger than me. And I say that anytime I go into any any profession in my life that I've ever had where I've done anything decent, it's because I've reached into that that deep uh, well of my vocation to draw on that storytelling skill, that story, storytelling ability. And um, and I find that if, if I do that, I have to work really hard to be bad at my job. I really have to work hard at it because if I'm, if I'm tapping into my vocation, um, it's like it, it just moves along. Things, it's, it's very natural, very organic. It's as natural as breathing. Um, but you know, you make me a bricklayer's helper for you know for a week or an accountant. Seriously, I would rather run a meth lab. You know what I mean? Because it's, it's, it's at least I get something out of that. You know, but uh, anything else, it would drive me nuts. But to do anything I can draw into with that storytelling ability, that storytelling vocation, um, then yeah, that's when I come alive. And so yeah, that's storytelling through photography that's a medium I love to use of course but through telling stories or through theater or through writing or whatever the case may be and things I've done in the past um, that's when I'm, I'm most happiest it's like it's on my sweet spot it's like where God's saying yep that's exactly the way I've kind of groomed you mm. let's just keep working on that I flourish there so let me just say that um, when I first heard Tom refer to that it was that, that was a, a eureka moment in terms of my own mm-hmm. approach to my creativity, um, to make a distinction between the um, the form that the creativity takes and the underlying vocation of it, mm-hmm. um, and pr- this might be a little too on the nose and it might be a little too bold, but I don't think so. Um, that if we are engaged in the process of being creatives that we are you know as co-creators we're creating with christ we're doing we're um walking in the uh in in the reflection of creator god and all of that stuff that we are actually at core that we are storytellers Mm -hmm. that we are telling a story we're reflecting a story and sometimes we're reflecting that story not just in the language that we choose but in the forms that it takes right so um and I just want to um, make that it sort of, it just feels like a bit of an invitation into something with what we do, um, that there's something beautiful that takes place 
when we recognize that. Dan Wilt is another friend who we'll have on here mm-hmm. at some point has talked about, um, you know, tell tell the story in a thousand ways. Um, you know, you can take an object and place it in a room and have, you know, a thousand artists of varying different disciplines and media uh, tell the story of that object and you're going to get a thousand different stories, but they're going to reflect, um, they're all going to reflect that object in the mm. center. Um, and so I think there is something that is a shared vocation, I guess, is what I'm trying to get at, mm. um, uh, which is, I think that's powerful. I think it's, I think it's powerful to be able to say, hey, this is something that we share in common. Um, and uh, so anyway. Hmm. Well, I, I, there's a tool. Here's a little, this is for free, folks. Here's a little tool, okay? A, a little, a little um, workshop for you right now. And it's with good storytelling, any storytelling, and I've, this is, and it's not because I've come up with some clever idea or some kind of method or anything like that. It's just through just experience in life, I've noticed the thing that keeps floating to the top of the surface that seems to always work, that seems to grab people literally by the heart, by the mind. Um, and especially if, if the more, the more, um, religious a person is, the more it seems to really rattle them, which makes it so much more fun, but it's this, it's the classic principle of sacred and profane. The two need each other, the sacred and the profane. And I have to say it is one of my greatest tools when it comes to storytelling in whatever form I take, whatever, be it spiritual storytelling in front of the church, telling stories or in front of kids, the sacred and the profane are necessary twins they just literally have to have each other if you just tell a sacred story oh excuse me I just fell asleep for a second there. <laughs> just wake up again if you tell a profane story pretty rough a bit more entertaining but still rough but if you take a sacred and profane moment you put them you you mash mash them up do a mashup uh, oh my goodness now all of a sudden people get engaged like you have no idea and i really think that for me the sacred and profane now this is me going on a limb I really think it's one of God's little signatures. One of his little signature notes. He puts in stories and songs and in things that make us go, what? Huh? It seems to be his little signature. I don't know. That's, that's me going on a limb there with that. Mm. But um, the sacred and the profane. We always think profane is a bad thing. A sinful thing and sacred is a good thing. You know, It's, it's not about being bad or good. It's about, it's about those, two, those two dynamics those two opposite dynamics in many ways coming together and finding some kind of harmony, those tensions coming together and dancing. And it's a dance. So an example of sacred and profane. And I challenge you not to at least smirk when you hear this. Okay. So for example, it, it, we have a, a, a group, you know, get Chris is a part of, and I, I heard that we have it in our different homes and, uh, and every once in a while, a new person will join in and it's always my delight when they say, so, you know, and we do this on this on this week, and we sing these songs, and we do this and that, and we pray for each other. Isn't that lovely, lovely, great, good old times, you know? And everybody's all very happy and all nodding heads. But then I have to pipe up, and I say, and, oh, let's not forget that every second Wednesday, or no, every, every third Wednesday, I think it is, isn't it, Chris? Um, Chris leads nude communion. It's a wonderful time. Very, very wonderful, very moving. And to, is it what? Yeah, nude communion. I said, who? <laughs> and the look on people's faces, it never, see, look, I can see even Matt. It, it doesn't matter what. You say nude communion, and it instantly a dance occurs inside our minds. A dance, a lovely, um, metaphorical, universal dance. So uh, that's, that is a major tool in any kind of storytelling is to find those, those dichotomies, those things that, those tensions, those um, things that you would never think to put together and Bam, it seems to really work. 
<laughs> I'll just throw it in Tom. for fun. Funny man. Yeah, now I have these images in my mind that I can't get rid of. Uh, <laughs> Chris leads it, by the way. It's great. Uh, but I, I see, I mean, this is very incarnational talk that you're, that you're talking about, really, where we talk about the earthiness of humanity, mm. the, the dirtiness of humanity, if you would, and then the heavenly div- divinity, mm. and then in Jesus, uh, we see these two together, and people yeah. just can't wrap their minds around that. That just, it's offensive and mm. provocative. And impossible in so many ways. And yet, uh, God says, there's my glory. There's my wonder. There's my beauty. There's my truth. That's, if you want to see the story of God, there it is. Look Mm. at it. And these two things that shouldn't work together, one would think, uh, are married, Mm. are made one. And it is, like you say, it's extremely provocative in some ways. It makes people stand up and pay attention. And and in some of us, I will put myself in there inclusive, we want to get rid of it. It's mm. too uncomfortable. We'd mm. rather not that existed um, because it, doesn't, it makes us feel strange things, whether that's icky or just uh, we don't like that. And um, someone was talking about it earlier. Uh, I don't remember what it was, but I just I wrote down this word here. I take notes as we talk because my mind won't remember things. But one of the words I wrote was systematic. And working mm. in theology, there I my field is systematic theology, and I have a love hate relationship with that word because, um, in some ways, it is easier to understand if you say, "Well, let's talk about the topic of salvation. What does that all entail?" Instead of uh, having everything scattered through the scriptures and throughout history, you're just saying, "Well, let's just talk about one thing at a time." So there's, there's a good part to that. But systematizing anything means you rip it out of its context. Mm. You rip it out of its story. And that, uh, that causes some damage as you do that. So mm. I've tried to be really, really careful always to put, you know, leave the roots where they are so that you can trace them back to where they, where they show up in that story. And I think um, mm. some of what you were saying, Tom, relates to that is, is letting things, not sanitizing things, but letting, uh, even your, in your little example there of, of Chris, you know, nude communion, I think there's a vulnerability and a crassness to that that just makes us uncomfortable in some way. We'd rather it was tidy and we were all fully clothed and hidden instead yes. of vulnerable, <laughs> yeah. right? And so I think, well... I wish it, he was fully clothed and hidden actually during those times, but that's another story, but go on, yes. But there is a, there's a vulnerability that stories bring out in us mm. and children. Uh, I have a niece and a nephew uh, that I read stories to and they're, like, their eyes are open, their mouths are open, their body language is all open. They, they come closer to me as I'm reading an exciting yes. part of the story. There's this whole openness that I think this is, this is part of the childlikeness that we have to kind of work to get to retain in, uh, in our communities, in our churches, in our stories, in our lives, because we're always adulting all the time. Yeah. And I try to remind myself often, what story am I telling in my life? Uh, to be aware of the journey I'm on. What story am I telling in, uh, in my faith community? What story are we telling? And then you have to include all the broken bits and the messes and the disagreements. And you have to include all that. But what's the story saying? 
what story am I telling in my vocation? As you mentioned that, like what, what really is happening? Am I just doing this to make a living so that I can do something I really enjoy? Or am I telling a story of how it's enlarging me and it's enlarging the world in some way? So sometimes I think it's hard. Um, well, it is a little bit hard for me because I am very in the present moment and I don't see the bigger picture many times, but I have to ask myself, what story are you telling right now with your life? And do you want this to be part of your story? Do you want to keep telling this part mm. of your story? And then you make decisions based on that because yeah. you, you see the, the forward call of a bigger story happening in some way. Mm. Mm. Yeah, so I'm, right now I'm reading uh, the latest N.T. Wright book, The Day the Revolution Began. Um, and, uh, and in it, he uh, just speaks actually to human vocation being part of uh, what is inaugurated and revolutionized uh, in, in the cross. And part of the way that he interprets that is uh, um, this idea of being a nation of priests. And as uncomfortable as listening to Tom speak of such things is for me, um, when I hear that, it is actually the temple life, right? The temple life is, is the place where heaven and earth overlap. Hmm. Um, you know, it's, it's not the place where heaven invades and completely conquers the earthly things, and is you know it's it's a place actually where heaven and earth overlap and there are priests and the priests don't sanitize the priests cleanse but they do not sanitize there's a difference hmm. uh, and i and i think we would do well in our relationship with storytelling to learn the difference between what it means to sanitize a story and what it means to be purified by a story um, in, in terms of how we think about the priestly life, that is actually something that we're all called to. It's, it's actually pretty challenging. Um, and uh, Jesus got himself into quite a bit of trouble as well in his approach to temple living and, and what he had to say about the temple. Mm. Um, and so I, I think that there's actually something that is uh, um, worth chewing on in the middle of all of that, um, for sure. And I would also say this to those of you who are out there Wondering if what Tom described actually happened, and I'm surprised that you would ask. That's <laughs> my boy. That's my boy. There we go. <laughs> That's great. Oh my oh, So, are we going to hear an actual story? Yeah. Or no. Oh, I've got I've got a story for you, but it actually I love has, it. It has a real kick. It has a real kick to it. Um, because, Tom, Uncle Tom, tell us a story. Oh, well, well, I'd be happy to. Gather around, folks. Gather around. So all of you who are out there in, in, in that ether out there listening to us, um, gather around your iPods or your iPhones or your MacBooks or whatever it is you've got. Or Android devices or PCs. Oh, Android, whatever. Well, of course. You see, I'm very <laughs> Mac-friendly and very <laughs> Apple-friendly. But still, come gather around. Come gather around. I've got a story to tell. Um, stories I find that have the, the, the greatest impact for me are the ones that are, that are true. Uh, you wonder by that word when I say it, but yes, the stories that have truth to them. Um, and this is a story from my my, my, my childhood. Uh, so it happens that, uh, like Jon Snow in Game of Thrones, I'm a bastard through and through. But unlike Jon Snow in Game of Thrones, I'm not royal. <laughs> we figured that one out in season seven. But 
I'm actually a bastard. I was uh, I was born uh, you know, to a single mother in Germany, 1960, and that made it very difficult for my mother. Um, she had a real problem on her hands because you know she had this child. What do you do in 1960s Germany? Now let's not forget that 15 years earlier Hitler was cooking in a bu- in a bunker. So that's not that long. 15 years is now I realize it's not a long time. So Germany was reeling. And it was it was all it was repairing itself, and like any time after the war, and any time around that, anyways, around the, around that era, um, the there were no you know social services. It was the church would step in uh, mostly nuns and priests and what have you. So my mom went like in the movie Philomena. If you ever seen that movie with them, Judy Dench, fantastic film by the way, go and watch it, folks. Um, that's my mom's story. Uh, without maybe the darker twist at the end, but it's my mom's story. So she went to an orphanage. And said, well, here, I'm a single mother. Uh, I can't make my way in life with, the, with this child. But at the same time, I don't want to leave my child. But I want the best for my child. So can I come in and stay in this orphanage and and, and, we t- and take care of him along with the nuns? And so that, that's what they did back then. So the nuns brought my mother in. And I was put in a cot in a room with 50 other children in different cots. My mom would spend the day cleaning and doing things to, get, you know, to basically earn her keep at this orphanage. And, um, and I would be strapped in bed at night. At nighttime, they would strap us and actually put belts across us. And so we couldn't crawl out of the beds. So we'd be strapped in bed. And, um, and my mother was there. At least she could be there. And so the days go by. And the weeks go by. And like in the movie Philomena, um, people would come through and they'd say, Oh, look at that little girl there. Look at that little boy. We'll have that one. Thank you very much. And they'd pay the nuns. So either they'd pay them or whatever the case may be. And they would, they would literally just take a child and off they'd go. Because now they had they had a home. I was there for two years. Now that was an odd thing, but I mean, I was considered actually a very attractive young child at the time. And the nuns did say he's a very good-looking little boy with the blue eyes, the blau augen, yeah. Oh, little Thomas, you know they love little Thomas and little Thomas, and they would give me little special treats of liverwurst, and uh, they take me to the to the to the chapel, and in the chapel they with the stained glass windows, and I'd go really quiet in the chapel. And the mother superior said to my mom once, she said, Oh, Thomas, he's going to grow up to be a man of God. We can see that the way he acts in the chapel. You know, isn't that sweet? That's one of God's greatest jokes to begin with in my life, personally. But that's another story. So there I am, little guy, and nobody comes to pick me up. And my mom's, to my mom's relief, two years goes by. Two full years go by, I should say. And one day, a doctor and his wife come walking through the front door. And he comes right straight over to me and goes, Ach, du liebe Zeit, that little boy right there, the one with the blue eyes, we like that one. Oh, we'll give this boy a future. He'll have a future. Now, see, we can have a doctor in Germany back in the day. Was, it still is really highly regarded in the community. So I was going to have the ultimate life. So he wanted to take me then with his wife, Helga. Helga, we take the boy now. Snaps his fingers, and the mother superior comes up and goes, excuse me, but we, we, ha- we just have to do some paperwork. Can you come back tomorrow? Oh, yeah, well, okay. And so off he goes with his wife. So my the mother superior called my mom in and says, Emgat, and she has it you know, in the, um, the, the office, says, Emgat, um, here's the thing. Uh, this doctor it wants to take Thomas. Now, you know that when the doctor takes him, this boy, your boy, will have everything he could ever want he'll have good food good education he'll have good friends and social standing he'll have everything his heart could desire and above all Thomas will have a future 
and my mom's, you know, and she's hanging on to me. And at that point, the mother superior says, now, Yamgad, could you please get up and leave? What? She says, yeah, you leave now. And my mom was just shocked. And then the mother superior says, oh, and by the way, take Thomas with you. She says, what? She goes, yeah, Thomas doesn't need a future. He needs his mother. Wise words. Now, all I remember of that time, because I was very young, I was two years old, all I remember is at that point, going through a graveyard in my mom's arms, and the doctor saying, hey, they're taking my boy, they're taking the boy, get him, and getting into the car. Wouldn't start. And I remember something, again, vaguely in my memory, some nuns going to the mother superior saying, mother superior, we have sinned, and they're holding up the carburetor. Oh, wait, wait. <laughs> I get that story mixed up once in a while. But story from my childhood. And, and I don't think we went to uh, Switzerland and learned to sing. But <laughs> we did make our way to Canada. And that's where I, hence, hockey pucks and maple syrup. That's where I am now, all these years later. Thanks, Tom. A simple story. Yeah, thank you. Well, this was an absolute delight. Thank you, Tom, for joining us. It was great to have you. Yeah, thank you, and uh, I trust that you lived happily ever after. Yes, it was a very colorful life thereafter, I can tell you that. It's been a lot of fun. Lots of fun. Well, I'm Chris McQueen. I'm Tom Vogel. I'm Matt Downey. Thanks for listening, everyone. We'll see you next time. Auf Wiedersehen. <laughs>